Listen now to these words from Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out of the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves. O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will, praise, I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's now pray together. O oh God, may the words that proceed from my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. And may we hear the promise that your spirit is near, and may we all be filled this day with the breath of the Lord. Amen. Tis the season for hiking. This time every year, I usually head off to a trail for the day with family or friends. This past Labor Day, a couple of weeks ago, I went out to Great Falls Park for the first time. I journeyed down a trail that led me up and over and around some very large rocks. Now, it was not very crowded that day, much to my surprise, but I did feel like I became the entertainment for a few people's Labor Days because of the looks that I received. I can suppose that those looks were given to me because of my method of crossing over those rocks. Some rocks I cross over very quickly, while others I pause 
and look over the edge before putting my foot down on the other side. It's not a tactic that I picked up from some hiking magazine somewhere, but rather it's from a lesson that I learned from an encounter with a snake. Now don't worry, this story does not require anyone to seek medical attention. But several years ago, I was hiking along a familiar trail with some friends, and uh, we found that we were on a ledge. And behind us, over the path that we had just traversed across, was a snake. I didn't realize that snakes like to hide in the shade, and sometimes that shade could be the other side of a rock. So here we were on the edge of this ledge, and we looked back, and as we were clinging together, I could have swore that I heard a rattle. Well, my friend that was with me assured me that copperheads did not have rattles. <laughs> and at that moment, I assured him that their bite was just as bad. But no bodily harm came to us as we tiptoed past this sleeping creature, although we did have racing hearts and sweating palms, and even my hair stood on edge when I thought that I heard that rattle. It's like all of the other warning noises that we have, those fire alarms, honking cars, even flashing lights that we see. We're conditioned to fear the warning. But if we look at it from a rattlesnake's perspective, it's actually quite thoughtful of the snake to warn us like it does. It shakes its tail at us and says, no, no, don't come close, I'm here. The rattlesnake's rattle essentially is just a warning to us that its presence is near. Well, today in our scripture, we've encountered a hiker of some sort, a journeyman, one who's been forced out of his hometown, and he's on a strange trail in a land that he doesn't even know. Ezekiel is writing to an Israel in exile. He records in the first chapter that he's with the exiles at the Chabar River, and today, we find him in the middle of a valley that's dry and desolate. There's no hint whether this story is part of a vision Ezekiel sees or if it were just a true journey where he's walking among the remains of his family and friends. The story simply begins like this. The hand of the Lord came upon me and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a dry valley. Sounds kind of like when Jesus was brought out to the wilderness when he was tempted. We may be frightened if we were to see a snake on our hiking trip, but what if we were hiking along and we came across a valley full of bones of deceased humans? Some of us would be absolutely horrified. Others may just say, well, this is going to make for an interesting day in the office today. But all of our reactions would give way to grieving when we discovered that these bones were our people. They were our neighbors and our family. You see, the bones that Ezekiel encounters here is Israel. They had been conquered by the Babylonians, and remnants of the battle scene lay waste in the dirty dirt of the valley. It just so happens that Ezekiel, the journeyman, has been led out to this valley under the influence of the Lord. Man, how much easier it would have been for him to encounter a rattlesnake. And if it were bad enough, if it weren't bad enough that Ezekiel had to face this horrific sight, God comes to him and asks him a question 
that's probably already on his heart, one that pains him as he looks out at the sight. God says, can these bones live? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind and possibly to his is, no, not only are they dead, their bodies have decayed so much that there is no, no skin or organs left. It's only bone. The scripture here does not give any indication that these bones even resemble a human skeleton. So they don't have any human identity at all. They're simply dry bones. But when God asks this question, Ezekiel responds, Oh Lord God, you know. Perhaps it's a deer in the headlights kind of answer, or maybe it's extreme faithfulness to God that he said that. We don't know, but we do know that the desert is a place that is parched. These bodies are parched. And the spirituality of the Israelites is parched. So then God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. To give them hope and to tell them what they are to do. They will be resurrected and brought back together again. They will be united with skin and workable joints. In this vision, it's a prophetic call like the one that God gave to Ezekiel just a few verses before to the one, to the Israelites in exile. It comes from the passage that Meg read for us today. It's the promise that God will return these Israelites back to their homes, will rebuild their village and their temple, and will give them the routines of yesteryear. So as Ezekiel prophesied this message, he heard a rattling sound. It was not a snake, but the symphony of clanging bones rising up around him, being assembled again right before his own eyes. The decaying process was reversing. These bones looked like they were going to live. And the crux of this passage for me lies at the observation that's recorded here. There was still no breath in them. The breath that they're referring to here is not just breath that's needed, oxygen needed in the brain to be able to make, uh, make these bodies function again. The word ruach is used here. It's a Hebrew word that can be translated as wind, breath, or spirit. So each time you hear one of those words or see one of those words printed in your scriptures, in your Bibles, it's because the translator decided to use that word there. So when Ezekiel makes the observation that the bones had no breath, he's saying there is no spirit in them. God says, well, I put the bodies back together, head and shoulder, knees and toes, knees and toes. Metaphorically speaking here, he's saying, I've ordered your lives again. I'm sending you back, putting all of the order back together. God says, I've dressed up this, these bones. They have skin on them now. Kind of like him saying, got your temple back together. You'll sure look like Israelites now. But there still is no spirit in them. So then God uses this vision of the bones to complete what he's called him to do. He says to call the Ruach. Just call it up. The spirit, the wind, the breath. 
And listen to how this pun is in Hebrew. God says to tell the Ruach, come from the four Ruachs, O Ruach, and breathe, or make spirited, upon these slain that they may live. And with the infusion of the Spirit, these humans came to life, and as the CEB translation records, in an extraordinarily large company. So I want to interrupt our story right here for a moment before our expectations of hopefulness of the passage cloud our interpretation of it. In all the sermons that I've heard preached on this very story, the sermon usually turns to a point now that's an exposition of how God can take bleak situations and can turn them to good even when there is little to no hope. But I'm not convinced that the community of Israel had little hope. We can't skip over the details, the very first of this passage, where God led him to the valley of the dry bones. Did he even want to go there in the first place? Had he just heard God's promise for rebuilding the temple after its destruction just a few verses before? Had he even heard the promise that the land would be tilled again and it would become like the Garden of Eden? Might Ezekiel have been satisfied with these promises? Did these promises mean the restoration of the identity of Israel to him? The structures will be nice and polished. The governance will be returned to order. And the scheduling of their lives would return Is this what made them Israel? You see, I don't believe that the people were lacking in hope. I believe that they were settling their hope in other things. We remember that these people were in exile. They were away from their homes. They'd begun to feel comfortable with the practices of the worshiping bodies around them. They began to seek joy in the pleasures of that world a world that did not have God bound to the doorpost, to the foreheads, or taught to their children. And understandably so, God moved away further and further from being their source of hope. That, after all, was the purpose of exile, and subsequently what some of the Old Testament prophets were writing to address. So if hope were found in the building of the temple, in the tilling of the land, and the returning to their homes as was promised, then Ezekiel and the Israelites may have been okay with stopping just short of the story of the Valley of Bones. They could have thrown a party because they were going to be able to return back to who they were and go back to their homes again. However, God did not let them dwell in their false hope. He loves Israel too deeply to let them live in a shallow existence. So God's gesture of taking Ezekiel to the Valley of Bones is almost like God saying, so you believe that giving you all of these things in and of itself is worth celebrating, that this is what makes you Israel. How about the idea that your people are spiritually parched and that there's no four-walled, building, perfectly landscaped garden, or reconstructed dream home that can bring Israel back together. Israel is not a systematic phone tree. Rather, it's a community. 
and there is no community without the Spirit. And all this cosmetic structure that you have on the outside is simply a bag of bones. Can these bones live? No. But if there is spirit inside that comes from the Lord, I, the Lord, can turn these dog toys back into people again. Relying on those structural things that I, God, saying, have promised you is not enough because that's not what Israel is. Those things are nothing without me. You cannot buy me, build me, or plan me. But I will come to you and I will fill you with the Spirit and I will be your source of hope. God doesn't just promise that he will rebuild their lives. He promises that he will come into it. He will give them purpose and a future. You know, neither Israel nor ourselves can stop short of this prophecy of the dry bones. For today, we return to our familiar schedules for the fall season. Two worship services, Sunday school in between. We gather together on Wednesday evenings for dinners. There are projects to attend to. There are programs to execute. There's even talk coming soon with the new interim transitional minister about structuring our identity here at McLean Baptist. Perhaps, too, we've even come to a place of transition in our lives where we have to take the daily routine back again, taking children to school, picking up our grandkids from school, going to work again just a little earlier because of traffic. Wherever you've come from today, do you come to the text needing to hear the rattle of the bones? The rattle, the promise that the warning of God's presence is near. Even if we feel as if we have been uprooted and living out faith in a foreign land, if the promise of the rhythmic structures that we're getting ourselves back into here at church life leaves us one breath short of abundant living, then listen carefully for the rattle, the beginning energies mounding up from the promise of God that God will bring God's Spirit to us. Without it, we're merely in a valley of dry bones. But with it, we're a dancing company of the people of God. So if any of us find ourselves in this spot today, I urge us to take God's advice and call out to the Spirit. For in verse 11, God says, He knows that His people cry out, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. But like God responded to the Israelites, he responds to us saying, I, the Lord, am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. I will put my Ruach spirit within you and you shall live. It's the promise of the rattle of the Spirit. Can you hear it? May we pray together. Holy God, we have found ourselves here as journeymen. God, some of us have come from trails that we've seen dry and desolate surroundings. Some of us, God, have come from other trails that were flourishing, 
with flora and fauna. But we have gathered here in this same space, for we are a community, a chosen people like, like that of Israel. We ask, God, that you would allow us to hear the promise, hear the rattle that your spirit is coming to us. As we leave this space, as we venture out into our daily lives, God, help us to attune our ear to the rattle. For we may never know, your presence may be lurking behind a rock, maybe behind a door, maybe on the smile of our spouse's face, or maybe even in the kind gesture of someone holding the door open for us as we walk through at the coffee shop. May we be your people, and may the rattlers that we have here in the congregation rally us to know that your spirit is near. It is in your name that we pray.